I bet a lot of you guys probably noticed there was no podcast last week, and the reason for that is because I was at a meetup on Sunday night when it happened. It was an interesting meetup, I will say that. So I set up this meetup, and I wasn't really sure how many people were going to come. I wasn't sure how many to expect or what things to buy in preparation for it. So what I ended up doing was uh, I sold tickets so that I could pay for the food and, and all of the other stuff. And I think I ended up selling a total of like 34 tickets or something like that. I rented a, a shelter at a park. So the plan was to meet up with these people and hang out for a few hours. It was only three hours. And we were going to grill some hot dogs and hamburgers and whatnots. And just hang out and talk and, and everything. And that's what we ended up doing. It was really awesome. So it was in Nebraska because that's where my girlfriend lived. She lives here now, officially. She moved here just this week. But we held the, the meetup in Nebraska, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, she helped me plan everything. So on the day of the meetup, I think the, it was scheduled 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So we show up. Uh, I think at like 3.30 or 4, and we're, we start setting things up, you know, getting the grill going and things like that. And people start showing up, and I got to meet the, I believe, one of the board members of Lincoln Atheists. That's one of, that's where it was, it was Lincoln, Nebraska. So I meet one of the board members of Lincoln Atheists, and it was, she was just awesome. She was super helpful with everything. I also was sitting there when uh, an ex-Jehovah's Witness walked up. So I'm introducing myself to these people and talking to them and hearing their stories and all this other stuff. Anyway, it was super interesting to hear these people's stories. The meetup, I think, like I said, I think there were a total of actually about 40 people there by the end of it. But I got to hear everyone's stories. I got to hear from... And a couple of ex-Mormons, multiple ex-Mormons, actually, lots of them. Multiple ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, multiple ex-Catholics, interestingly enough. I was surprised to find a bunch of ex-Catholics there. And I got to hear about how they grew up and what it was like. And in fact, one of the ex-Mormons had some really interesting things to say. Some of them were actively going to BYU like currently going to BYU and didn't believe it anymore. Like that that must be so difficult knowing that what you're doing going to this university that's full of Mormons and knowing you don't believe it anymore. I can't even imagine having to go through that. So props to them for going through all of that. I know it's not easy. But I'm glad that they've kind of connected with community uh, on a more local level, or they wouldn't have been showing up to something like I set up. But another Mormon, ex-Mormon woman, was talking to me, really nice lady, and she was telling me that the bite model breakdown that I did on Mormonism, uh, I, I did one bite model breakdown of Mormonism long ago, and it was a little, I tried to be generous with it. Because I figure if it's a cult, then that will shine through anyways, uh, whether I'm generous or not. Well, I talked to Mr. Atheist, who, of course, himself is an ex-Mormon, and we redid the bite model breakdown, basically. We've been doing it in four parts. I think we're on part three now. We have one part left, the emotion control. 
and we raised just about every point, almost every point. Some of them went down. But this this woman I was talking to, this ex-Mormon, made a really good point to me. She said that every point on the bite model should go up one extra score for women because women are treated a little bit differently in the Mormon church than they are, uh, than men are, basically. It was something that really made me think. It made me really think about Mormonism and their control of gender roles and things like that. So I I think I'm going to talk to Mr. Atheist about it. I think I'm supposed to call him tonight or something like that about some other thing. So maybe I'll mention that to him when we talk. But anyway, it was, it's just interesting. It's just something interesting to think about. You know, I... I heard a lot of interesting stuff about other people's religions and things like that. Like, there were, like I said, many people that were ex-Catholic. And I was honestly surprised to find that there, you know, there there were so many ex-Catholics there. And they were really pressuring me into uh, talking about Catholicism. They really want me to cover Catholicism. I covered it forever ago. And I feel like my views on it have changed since then because it's like a two and a half year old video or something it was like super old so i just took the video down because i wasn't really sure that i agreed with it anymore i haven't watched it through in forever so i'm just gonna i'm gonna give it a watch again and i'm going to refine my views and talk about catholicism again it's an extremely controversial subject but my position on it is kind of damn the controversy if it needs to be said then it needs to be said pretty much Another ex-Catholic I talked to was the president of the SSA in uh, Lincoln, um, Nebraska. He was really, really cool. Really cool kid. And he's also an ex-Catholic. And we talked about the Fibonacci sequence because I picked that as the scale for grading cults on the bike model, basically. And he wanted to know why I picked that and things. And I explained to him that the reason that I picked the Fibonacci sequence was because the Fibonacci sequence is... I don't know how many people in my audience uh, are ex-software engineers or even current software engineers. I'm an ex-software engineer. I did this for like six years. I was in the field for six years. And if any of you guys know about Agile Scrum um, planning, you'll probably recognize the term planning poker that's this basically this thing where in software they say they're the two hardest things to do are naming and estimating you got to name things and estimate times those are the two hardest parts of software engineering so planning poker is it uses the fibonacci sequence to kind of estimate rough times for how long this stuff should take um They'll break it down into really, really tiny tasks that a single programmer can do by himself. And it should only take him between, say, an hour or two and a full week. If it's longer than a week, if it's like a two-week project for a single programmer, then you want to break it down more. You want to break it down further into more subtasks. And they estimate the amount of time that it should take to do this job Um, by playing a game called Planning Poker. And you can buy cards for it and everything on Amazon. It's basically 
the Fibonacci sequence. You have 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, and 21. And some of them go up to 34. And you estimate these little tiny tasks like create a button on the home screen or connect the the uh, the login options to the SQL database or something like that, like small tasks. And you estimate you're in a group, say five or six people total. Each one of the people in this planning poker game will put down a card, one of the numbers in the Fibonacci sequence uh, to estimate how complicated or how long this task will take. Now they don't base it on hours. It's not like one, two, three, five, eight, or 13 hours it's points and you use the points as a reference it, it gets a little bit in the weeds gets a little bit complicated but that's kind of the idea behind it that's where i got the fibonacci sequence from and also it's not exact it's not officially an exponential growth the fibonacci sequence is but it's faster than adding um and it tricks your brain into realizing that or it tricks your brain into thinking that there's a a a larger gap between points than there actually is. So I may have a lot of trouble deciding between a six, a seven, or an eight for a cult for a point on the bite model, but I'd have a lot less trouble deciding between an eight, a 13, or a 21. It, it becomes a lot more clear and obvious when you have those giant gaps. So that's why I picked the Fibonacci sequence. But anyway, point is the meetup went absolutely fantastically. I loved talking to people. I loved talking to them. It was absolutely amazing. And I'll put this right at the very end of this segment because I know I'm going to get some shit for this, but somebody also wanted me to cover the military as a cult. And I'm just going to say that I, I have analyzed it on the bite model and it is a cult. <laughs> I need to do a deeper breakdown for a video. I don't know if I will or not. It's definitely going to garner some hate to say the least but it is so there you go take that for what you will there is something i wanted to talk about with jehovah's witnesses so they are doing their annual conventions right now for those of you who don't know i think i talked about this last time but the jehovah's witnesses do this thing where they have three conventions a year basically okay so the, there's the one day special assembly they have the two-day circuit assembly, and then they have the three-day district assembly. And uh, as you can imagine, based on the names, it covers different areas of people. Like you get, say, 500 people for the special assembly, the one day, and maybe you get 3,000 for the circuit assembly, the two-day, and then you get maybe 10,000, sometimes 20,000, or even more for the, for the uh, three-day district assembly. It covers larger areas. And so they're doing their tour of assemblies all across the U.S. right now. And I found this article on it. I have not read this article beforehand, but it apparently it's from the website deseretnews.com. Never heard of this website before. But the title is Thousands Gather in Utah for Jehovah's Witnesses Global Convention. In Utah, I totally did not expect them to uh, be advertising the Utah one. Now, the, like I said, they have one in every district in the U.S. In fact, everywhere in the world, pretty much, with the exception of like a total of, what, six to nine countries or something. They have one everywhere. I think Jehovah's Witnesses are banned in China, North Korea, 
Yemen, Qatar. I, I don't remember. There are like six or nine of them, one of the two. So they're holding one in Utah. Let's just give this article a read and see what it has to say. More than 4,000 Jehovah's Witnesses gathered in Ogden this weekend during the Faith's Global Convention. For Alyssa Landeros, who was baptized on Saturday during the convention, the yearly gathering helps us not only spiritually grow, it helps encourage us to, if we're having problems at work or school or with family, it helps us through that. And it's something that we look forward to all year. So right off the bat, this seems like it has a positive slant for Jehovah's Witnesses, which is a little bit concerning to me because Jehovah's Witnesses... While they're genuinely good people, most of them, the majority, are genuinely, deep down, good people, really. They are so disgustingly misguided, it's, it's horrific. They get people killed with their misguided ideas. I don't know how I feel about the governing body members, if I think that they're deep down really good people or not. I think I'm a little bit more cynical about that, but anyway. Point is that this article has a positive slant for Jehovah's Witnesses when it should not. So let's just see, let's continue reading, see what it says. The event, which has taken place at the D Events Center for about 30 years, was estimated to bring about $2.5 million in revenue to the city as Jehovah's Witnesses from around the state and neighboring states converged on Ogden, according to event organizers. The convention featured several symposium related to the topic, Love Never Fails, focused on studying Jesus Christ's love for others and how those in the faith can follow his example in their service. I love how they're framing this. This is so Jehovah's Witness positive, it's eerie. I notice they don't mention shunning at all, how in this bit they're talking about love never fails. They, they fail to mention how many people lose family members permanently just because they don't believe it anymore. Not because they killed somebody, not because they got drunk and drove their, their car, not because they did some other, some horrific crime of some sort, but because they don't believe it anymore. They don't mention that in this article. That's, that is very telling. Anyways, this says the convention featured several symposium related to the topic, Love Never Fails. I noticed that they put symposium as a singular word. Several symposium related to the topic, as opposed to symposiums. It says, Landeros says she was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, left, and then later returned as an adult. After preparing for baptism for a few years, she and her husband were baptized along with 35 others. Getting ready for the day was difficult. It could be, it could be difficult, but it was also really easy with all of our brotherhood. That helps us as well. Once we decided, it was a lot easier, Landeros of Leighton said. Hopefully, a lot of good things come out of it. Oh, this article is interesting. It says, it was really easy with all of our brotherhood that helps us as well. It seems like it's translated from a different language. That's what it's reading like. Like the grammar is just a little bit off. The tenses are off. Like it, it, It's using singular words when it should be using plural, things like that. Some people may not know this about Jehovah's Witnesses. When I was younger, I was trying to get baptized. So here's the process I went through. I started studying with an elder, um, basically going through this book. I think the book was called um, Organized to Do Jehovah's Will. And it's not terribly thick, but we it's basically your baptism preparation book. So talks about 
Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs on things. Make sure you understand what they believe, why they believe it, all that stuff. And it, I think it probably took me six months to a year of studying to finally become a Jehovah's Witness, to finally get baptized, or to schedule my baptism. And at the end of the book, after I finished studying it, after like a year or something, they had questions at the back. Now, I feel like when I got baptized, I think I was like 14, maybe 15, somewhere in there. I feel like it was the it was referred to as the 100 questions. In retrospect, maybe not because I'm on jwfacts.com, which by the way, subtle plug, really good website. Absolutely phenomenal website. Um, jwfacts.com has a, a whole thing about the eight, the 80 questions, not the 100 questions, the 80 questions that you have to answer. And I, I could have sworn it was 100, but anyways, you have to answer these questions before they will baptize you. So I figured I'd just kind of list some of the questions off. It's pretty straightforward stuff. The first one is, who is the true God? Then we've got, what kind of God is Jehovah? What does it mean to know God? What does the Bible mean when it says that Jehovah requires our exclusive devotion? Now, you have to answer all of these questions exactly as the the book describes. They're looking for a very specific answer, but they don't want you to quote it. They want to make sure that you understand that you absorbed the message yourself and that you're not just spitting it back. They want to make sure that you internalized the beliefs and the ideas and you can put it in your own words. So they list all all of these 80 questions in the back and you have to be able to spit the answers back in your own words. Here are some others. Um, Why do people die? What is death? What future hope for life is there for one who dies? How many from among mankind will be in heaven with Christ? What will they do there? Of course, with those questions, why do people die? What future hope for life is there for one who dies? The answers that they're looking for with, at least with that last one, what what future hope for life is there for one who dies? They're, They're looking for an answer like, they will be resurrected in a paradise earth after Armageddon, pretty much. Uh, the next one was, how many from among mankind will be in heaven with Christ? The answer they're looking for there are is 144,000. 144,000 anointed witnesses will basically be raptured to heaven once Armageddon starts, and they'll be given swords and bows and arrows to slaughter everybody who is not an active believing Jehovah's Witness. And that's the answer to the next question. What will they do there? There you go. Are Chris- of course, they wouldn't want that kind of answer. They would, <laughs> I mean, I kind of framed it in a realistic way, not in the way that they would want it framed. Anyways, here's the next one. Are Christians under the law covenant with its requirements of Sabbath keeping and sacrifice? That's pretty standard kind of doctrine that they want to make sure that you understand. How should a husband exercise his headship? Ooh, that's interesting. Is the wife whose husband is not a believer freed from his headship? That's even more interesting. Who is responsible before God for the training and disciplining of children? May a Christian have more than one living marriage mate. So they really want to make sure that you understand their doctrine really clearly. I don't really remember the answers to all of these, but most of them I do. Like, let me give you guys some examples of questions that I don't remember the answers to, or to which I don't remember the answers. How do Bible commands concerning idolatry 
affect a Christian in this modern world? You know, I guess they'd probably want to talk about the cross, for example. They always say, Catholics idolize the cross by wearing it. Catholics idolize Jesus and all that other stuff. That's probably what they'd be looking for. Who or what is the faithful and discreet slave? I don't really remember clearly. I'd have to look that up again. They have this whole weird doctrine about that. Here's another interesting one. What attitude should Christians show toward those who serve as shepherds in the congregation? Obviously, the answer they're looking for is subservience. Uh, They want you to be obedient to supposed shepherds in the congregation, which would mean the elders, the people over everybody. They expect subservience from you. Why is it beneficial to attend the meetings arranged by the congregation? Why is personal study important in the life of a Christian? What urgent work does the Bible set out for all Christians at this time? Questions like that. That's, that's the kind of thing that they ask you uh, in preparation for baptism. Here's one that I don't, I don't really understand. Is this work done in our own strength? They're looking for a very specific type of answer with that one. I, I'm not really sure what answer it is that they would be looking for. I'd have to look in the book again. Why should one who has sincerely repented and turned around and chosen to be a disciple of Christ be baptized? So they're asking what the point of baptism is with that one. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting little thing there. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool to take a kind of a glimpse into their, their culture. And FYI, I'm planning on doing a video pretty soon about the anointed and who that is, what it means, what they are. Um, what this whole 144,000 thing is. I've talked about it a couple of times in my videos, but I feel like I could probably do it more justice. First up was Nick was just asking, what's your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. Um, I I don't know. I, I like some deeper purples and stuff too, though, actually. Generally, I just side with blue. Um, Banana and Butch were both asking, if you became president, would you set any restrictions on extremist groups like Jehovah's Witnesses? That is a really interesting question. Would I set any restrictions on extremist groups like Jehovah's Witnesses? I think what I would probably do... uh, There is a fine line. There is a line between what is abuse and what isn't. I think that human rights violations are a big problem in religious groups. So the UN has a declaration of human rights. Some of you guys may know this. Some of my ex-Jehovah's Witness fans may already know this, but Jehovah's Witnesses are violating some of the human rights as declared by the UN. I think Article 18, here's Article 18. It says, everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief and freedom either alone or in community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. And then Article 20. Everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and association. No one may be compelled to belong to an association. Jehovah's Witnesses violate both of those articles. The company, the Watchtower Society, for lack of a better term, violates Articles 18 and 20 for regular Jehovah's Witnesses. No one may be compelled to belong, and everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, and it includes the right to change their religion or belief without compulsion. If I were president, I would allow religions to to do whatever it is they want to do and practice their sincerely held beliefs up to the moment they violate human rights. 
And if they started violating human rights, I would, I would not jail them because jailing them feeds their persecution complex. Just look in Russia. Hang on. I just pulled up this picture of this Russian Jehovah's Witness who was being put in prison. Guy's in handcuffs, and he's smiling. He's happy that he's being arrested because he believes that this is foretold as part of the end times, blah, blah, blah. He thinks that this is God's plan coming to fruition and all of that. That's what happens when you jail religious extremists. It feeds their persecution complex. It makes them believe even deeper that what they're doing is the right thing. Never jail extremists. Well, okay, let me rephrase. Never jail nonviolent religious nutcases. We'll say that. Sometimes if they're violent, you need to protect society from them. Um, If they're nonviolent, then you need to fight their ideas. Because their ideas are really what's toxic. Their ideas are what's spreading and what's doing damage. You need to fight their ideas. As long as they, their sincerely held belief did not include abusing somebody or killing people or whatever other thing, let them do it. I, I still think religious freedom is important, though I think religion is ridiculous. I still think religious freedom is important. So anyway, there's my answer. Um, before we move on to other questions, I just want to mention Omega Riley sent a super chat. He says, just so everyone reading this is aware, we are trying to coin the nickname T-Dog for Telltale. That's T-D-A-W-G for Telltale. So please use it. Don't forget to like the podcast. That's a good point, uh, Omega Riley. Uh, Like the podcast. (laughs) Thanks. And yeah, honestly, I liked um, Ice-T. Ice-T is good. Or T-Dog with D-O-double-G. That one's pretty good. Koniak uh, was asking, what is your favorite video game franchise? Oh, that's a hard one. A lot of you guys probably are aware that I love retro games. I love Nintendo, Super Nintendo, PlayStation. Oh, man, they're so good. Um, I would. I feel like I'm on the fence between Metroid and Final Fantasy. But honestly, I feel like... Final Fantasy has, it kind of went in a direction I really did not like for a while. Like, it got into massively multiplayer online stuff for a long time, like World of Warcraft style. Not a fan of MMOs. I really loved Final Fantasy VII. Absolutely amazing game. Final Fantasy VIII, a little bit less phenomenal to me, but still a really good game. I own nine, but I never did play it. I played 10 a little bit, but I was a little bit less of a fan of 10. I really liked um, The Dirge of Cerberus. That was on the PlayStation 2. It was kind of a spin-off game. It was a first-person shooter. Really good. That's my history with Final Fantasy. That That's a really good franchise. I also like Metroid. I absolutely loved Super Metroid. One of the best games ever made of all time, in my opinion. I didn't get into Metroid, like the original for the NES. I feel like it's a little bit dated, but it's still a really good game. Um, So Metroid, Super Metroid was great. Metroid Fusion was phenomenal. One of my favorites, even though it was more linear than the rest. Uh, Metroid Zero Mission, I could not get into. I feel like it was a little, like the the gameplay was a little bit different than I'm used to. I wasn't a fan of how they did the, the gun. 
Like it was, it, the charged blast was like really weak in it. So it was a little bit harder to get into, but it's still a really good game. Now the 3d Metroids, those have been a little bit harder for me to get into. I own prime and prime two, but I haven't really played through them much either way. Metroid's an absolutely phenomenal game. Oh, and one more, I forgot Zelda. I love Zelda. Breath of the Wild was really great. A Link to the Past was good. A Link Between Worlds was good. Uh, Link's Awakening, really, really good. I hear they're remaking that this year. I'm pretty excited for that. I love Zelda games. Some of the best ones out there. Nintendo knows how to do a franchise. I, I must say that. They know how to do a franchise. Oh, and Pokemon, too. Pokemon was really good. I played um, Blue when I was little. Oh, look, listen to me getting off on a tangent about game franchises. You opened Pandora's box with this. Okay, do you have one more question for me? Uh, yeah. Vance Man had been asking, what are some good materials for recent atheists? Good materials for recent atheists. Honestly, um, for a long time, people really had to just go to books when it came to pretty much anything because the internet is really very new. So if you were becoming an atheist or if you were leaving religion and, and moving to another or whatever, you really just had to turn to books. But that's very different now. We have the internet. We have YouTube. We have all of these other resources that, that you can use. You have blog articles and things. I think that if you're leaving religion and, and you want to find a way to kind of try to reverse a lot of the damage that was done by religion, a lot of the views that were altered and slipped into your way of thinking your best bet is probably to go with some solid books to start with that's still classic maybe read some hitchens some christopher hitchens maybe some richard dawkins try reading the god delusion in fact in the god delusion he actually quotes um he debunks a jehovah's witness book life how did it get here by creation or evolution i think is the name of the book he debunks like three pages of that or something because they just misquote him all through it so that's a really good book the god delusion and i hesitate to say this because i feel like you need to be a lot more careful with it but youtube is a really good source if you're looking at the right material because there are some extremists on youtube too um some extremist atheist youtubers i'll say that but there are still a lot of good atheist YouTubers out there. Genetically Modified Skeptic, solid atheist YouTuber. Holy Kool-Aid, solid atheist YouTuber. Mr. Atheist, really good dude, really good atheist YouTuber. Not to toot my own horn, toot toot, but I think I'm pretty solid with it too. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of them out there. Surus, the skeptic, is really good. Lots of really good people. Just be careful though. Pull up a copy of the Byte model and kind of go through it a little bit and think about if, if you recognize any YouTubers using the us versus them mentality, black and white uh, thinking, encouraging you to cut off communication with anybody for one reason or another. Just think about that if you're looking at any YouTubers, because there are some questionable ones out there. Anyway... Uh, I love Aaron Ra, by the way. Aaron Ra is awesome. He's an awesome dude. I love Matt Dillahunty, too. Really straight-up guy. They're really, really great. Anthony Magnabosco, solid dude. 
you guys should most definitely go check out Anthony Magnabosco and Cordial Curiosity. Both of them are absolutely solid YouTubers. Anthony Magnabosco more so, I think. Um, Cordial Curiosity has said some interesting things lately. I'm not 100% sure I agree with him, but whatever. He's still a good YouTuber, so we'll go with that one. Emily was asking, would you ever write a book about escaping Jehovah's Witnesses or something along those lines? I would love to. Yeah, that would be really cool, I think. I My schedule is so full, it's so hard to sit down and write. I would love to do that, though. It just takes a, takes a lot of work, a lot of time. And as I am a writer, I, I write basically... Every time I do a video, I'm writing 4,000 page essays. I'm sorry, 4,000 word essays. It, it adds up to between six and nine pages generally. So I'm writing like nine page essays every time I make a new video. I consider myself a writer. Finding time to write a book in between writing essays for YouTube is a tall order sometimes. I'd love to find the time, but yeah, that would be really cool. The Arbiter was asking... What do you do when your family is slowly being drawn in by Jehovah's Witnesses? Is there a way to get them not to join? Yeah, I have a I have two videos on YouTube that it's called um, "How to Deprogram a Religious Extremist," parts one and two, and it just kind of details a method of deprogramming people. It's it's kind of a modified Socratic questioning, a Socratic reasoning. If you watch Anthony Magnabosco, I mentioned him earlier. If you watch Anthony Magnabosco, he kind of goes through a deprogramming style technique. It's called street epistemology, and it's definitely worth the watch. If you want to figure out how to kind of try to deprogram people to some extent a little bit, it's really hard to do. It takes a really long time. No guarantees it's going to work at all, but give it a shot. See if you can talk to somebody and see if you can kind of talk them down from the cliff. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I discovered this website, ministrytochildren.com, and I, I, I found out about this thing called Vacation Bible School Pledges, Bible, American, and Christian Flag. So I wanted to just cite to you guys the Bible Pledge of Allegiance, the American Pledge of Allegiance, and the Christian Pledge of Allegiance. Apparently, I, earlier today, I was going through some really awful, cringy, YouTube videos, and I discovered something called Bible Man. I had never heard of Bible Man before. Uh, and also Car Man. I heard about Car Man from an ex-coworker of mine, Joris. Really good dude. He showed me a Car Man video. It's called, if you guys want to look this up, it's on YouTube. The video, it's a basically a music video. It's by Car Man, and it's called Satan Bite the Dust, I think. It's so terrible. I would show it, but I don't want any copyright strikes. Just go check it out. Just, just I'll put a link to it in the description or something. You guys just go give it a listen. Anyway, I was watching those earlier, and I started looking into it a little bit more, and, we, and I discovered the Bible Pledge of Allegiance. So let's give these three different pledges of allegiance a read. We've got the American Pledge of Allegiance. Most of you guys probably know this one. I grew up hearing it, but I, I was not allowed to say it as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, of course, Jehovah's Witnesses don't say the pledge in school. They just Sometimes they stand for it while others say it. Sometimes they just sit and don't say it at all. Here it is. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So that's pretty standard. Most people know that one. Here's the 
Christian Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One brotherhood uniting all, uniting all mankind in service and in love. And here's the Bible Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Here's the big problem with this, um, with this stuff. These, these pledges, these other two, the Bible Pledge of Allegiance and the Christian Pledge of Allegiance, they are commonly said a lot. And this website is directed toward people who are homeschooling their kids and are trying to push a, an ultra-Christian curriculum on them. Like, there are Christian private schools that have Christian curriculums for homeschoolers, and that's horrifying to me. They're not getting a real education. That's wrong. That is straight-up wrong. Bringing your kid out of public school and indoctrinating them into an extreme way of belief is wrong. So, that's the kind of thing that... Uh, some Christian homeschool kids do. They say those pledges every morning. Stand up and face the Christian flag and say the Christian Pledge of Allegiance. That's what they do. That is scary. I should really do another video on homeschooling. It's been a really long time since I have.